When Jesus was on this earth and when Jesus preached, he often used the parabolic method of teaching on different subjects. Mostly we find that he did so on the theme of the kingdom of heaven. But he also did so in response to questions by his disciples and even questions that would come from his enemies. One such parable, though, was told in response to a question that was related to prayer. You remember that Jesus had been praying in a certain place, as we found in the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke and in verse 1, where I'll read it again, where it says, And it came to pass that as he went and he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. In answering the disciples' request, Jesus does three things. Number one, he told them how and what to pray for. Number two, he told a parable to stress a crucial element in how to pray. And finally, he followed up by elaborating on what the parable was designed to illustrate. That parable is known as the friend at midnight. In this parable, we find Jesus illustrating the importance of persistence in prayer. But as we begin our study this morning, let's notice the Lord's praying is what prompted a request. He had been praying in that certain place in verse 1 of chapter 11. You know, I got to thinking about this, and in the Gospels, we do see glimpses into the prayer habits of Jesus. Jesus is a tremendous example for us. Jesus as the master teacher, the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest preacher the world ever knew, and the only one that lived his life in sinless perfection. He lived his life in a way that even though if you and I would strive with every fiber of our being, we would absolutely never achieve what the Lord achieved, what an example he is for you and I. You know, our brother said, what would Jesus do in his prayer?" In fact, I thought about this yesterday. You know, you can buy t-shirts that say WWJD. What would Jesus do? I've seen it on billboards. I've seen it on trinkets and bracelets. And the idea, as our brother was pointing out in, in his prayer, is people sometimes look at that idea and say, what decisions am I going to make in my life regarding what would Jesus do? But this morning, for a little while, I want to talk to you not on the speculation of what Jesus would do. I want to talk to you about what Jesus did do. This is the example that Jesus has set for us. Number one, when we look to the prayer habits of Jesus Christ, we find, first of all, there was an occasion in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 that he rose up early to pray. Notice with me in Mark chapter 1, I'll begin reading there in verse 32, some of the circumstances before he prayed. And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city were gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. Then in the next verse, the Bible says, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. 
Jesus had a great day before him. He had a day of being about the Father's business. He had a day of going into towns that he would visit and he would preach masterful sermons all day long. He would go into those places and this is the Lamb of God, a man of perfect, sinless perfection. And he rose up early before day to pray. Remember that song that we used to sing, Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Let me ask you this. Have you had a good day or a bad day when you rose up early in the morning and prayed before your day? You know, sometimes when we struggle spiritually, sometimes folks struggle spiritually. Sometimes they're tossed to and fro and they're being pulled in every direction and sometimes they continue to go back into the sinful ways of the world. I would venture to say that if they would wake up in the morning early, before you go out and tackle your day and pray to God, pray to the great God of heaven that hears, just maybe it would be easier to stay on the path that Jesus trod. In verse, uh, also another indication or another time that Jesus prayed, he withdrew himself into the wilderness in Luke chapter 5 and beginning there in verse 15. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. First of all, Jesus Christ was not condemning public prayer, and certainly he was not condemning prayer in the midst of or in the presence of others. When Jesus spoke about, and I'll just say this as an aside, when Jesus spoke about the hypocritical prayer of the Pharisees, he wasn't condemning long prayers, even though he said long prayers, that they want to be known for their much speaking. He wasn't saying that there was anything wrong with that. And he was not saying that there was anything wrong with praying in public, even if somebody hears you. What he was condemning was, he was condemning the heart of the Pharisee. Their heart was wrong. They wanted to be known for, they wanted to have a reputation of those that had all of these masterful words and they would ramble on with this beautiful, eloquent speech and be known for their long prayers. You know, long prayers are not condemned in the scriptures either. And let me just say this though. Let me just say that when we go to a restaurant and we offer thanks for the food, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing so. In fact, I think all of us do that probably. I would hope that that is the case. Let me just say one thing, though. When we pray for our food, it is not for the benefit of the hearer to pat us on the back and say, oh, they must really be religious people. How nice. I had a uh, waitress one time walk up to my family when I was a little boy, and my dad had offered thanks at the table, and she came up and said, yeah, that was, that was wonderful. Now that's all fine, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was to pray to God and thank God for the food. Another instance, one time I, I remember this. Years ago, we went to the New Year's meeting and I think it was probably close to 17 or 18 years ago. And we were in Oklahoma and it was Daryl and Gail's job that week to take Linwood Smith around and drive him all over everywhere. And I remember that all of us got together that morning with Linwood and we got in that rental car and we were going to go to services somewhere, which I can't remember where it was. Linwood couldn't find it. So we were almost late and we came in right at the last minute, just in the nick of time before the first song. And we worshiped there that day in that great assembly of people. 
After that, we went to a restaurant. And the crowd that we had with us that went to eat with us was so big and it was so noisy in the restaurant, there's no way that you could hear the one praying unless that person stood up and literally shouted the words out. So we decided we'll just offer thanks to ourselves. Is there anything wrong with that? Why, certainly not. But I'll never forget this. I was quite a bit younger then, and Linwood said something that I have never forgotten. You know, I think about it almost every time we go to a restaurant. Isn't that amazing how things can stick in your head like that? Every time we sit down to pray, almost every time, after all these years, it pops in my head. Linwood said, that's fine, so long as we're never ashamed to pray out loud. It's just as wrong to be ashamed to pray out loud as it is to pray out loud for the purpose of being seen and heard of men. We can never, ever be ashamed. On this particular occasion, though, Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. You know, the fame of Jesus had spread and Jesus was healing folks and so forth and so on. And there was great multitudes of people that were following him. And the Bible would say that there were those that wanted to hear the words that he had to preach while others were following him because he had the ability to do like none other and heal the sick. And they would bring all of those that were diseased before Jesus and Jesus would heal them. But when Jesus needed time with God... He departed into the wilderness by himself, and he prayed. Thirdly, we find that Jesus one time prayed all night in preparation to selecting his apostles. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto his disciples, all of them he chose twelve, and he named them apostles. That was another time when Jesus had a decision to make. Don't you think that if you had decisions to make, if you prayed and you exhausted yourself in prayer in advance, if you included God in the decision, don't you think you'd make a better choice? I'll tell you, I bet you would. Pardon the vernacular. I think that we would make better choices and decisions if we would always bring God into the picture. But Jesus was going to bring God into the picture as he prayed all night. And those disciples that he chose, those 12 that he named apostles, that was a big decision. That's an example of a big decision. But you know, before Jesus went out and just preached that day in all those towns, he rose up early. He went to, the Bible says, a solitary place. That would indicate to me that it is an example that Jesus gives us to pray even about little things throughout the day and also to pray about big things, withdrawing yourself, going to God. And Jesus even prayed all night long. Have you ever prayed all night? This isn't about me, but I did once. Only once in all my life. Sometimes we do that when we are so overwhelmed and overcome with a sad occasion that we do that. Jesus had a happy occasion. He had a happy occasion, a spiritual need. He was going to choose those apostles and he prayed all night. 
Maybe we ought to pray for the church more. Maybe we ought to, we ought to wear out our knees praying for the Lord's church. Going to get back to that in just a minute. Praying for the cause of Christ that God's will would be done in all things. Examples of the Lord's prayers. First we find in the 17th chapter of the gospel according to John when Jesus would pray for his own. And he said this, he was praying for those disciples that were then living and he says, but I don't pray for these only, but for all them that believe, for all those that would come in my name, for all those that would be saved. And he prayed, Jesus prayed, I pray that they will be one as I and you, the Father, are one. What a beautiful prayer that was in the 17th chapter of the gospel according to John. That is a prayer you can call a Lord's Prayer. There was another time when Jesus expressed his agony in his prayers to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that Jesus was in agony. He was in such agony that the Bible says that he had great drops of uh, sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was in agony before he ever went before that mock trial, before he ever hung on Calvary's cross. He was in agony inside. What do we learn about that prayer? He poured his heart out to God, and he gives us a wonderful example of how it is that we ought to pray unselfishly. Oh, he with supplications, and that's what that word means, supplications. He was pouring his heart out to God, and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup this cup of suffering pass from me but look at his example but not as I will but thy will be done and finally with a determined and calm resolve our Lord and Savior said this as I paraphrase if there's no other way except I drink it thy will be done I've said this time and time again and I'll say it once more you've got to be satisfied with whatever answer that God is going to give you when you pray you have to pour your heart out in supplications. In fact, the Bible says that you have not because you ask not. you got to ask according to His will. Another example of a prayer that we can call the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus was on the cross in Matthew 27 and 46, He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some translations say, why art thou so far from helping me? That was a prayer that we can call the Lord's Prayer. Also, while still on the cross in Luke's account, chapter 23 and 34, you can imagine that if this is not an example, I don't know what is. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I, I struggle with it too, but when somebody's rude to us, it's hard not to be rude back. It is hard to reel it in. It really is. What about Jesus? He is hanging on the cross. He was almost beaten to death. The blood is streaming down his face from the crown of thorns. The utter mockery, the, sp the spitting in his face and all of that. With nail-pierced hands and feet suffocating on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What an amazing example. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It's easy to forgive people that you love. It's easy for people that make mistakes that you forgive them because you really love them. And you write it off as they just made a mistake. 
What about the cruel and hateful things that were done to our Lord on that day? And he looking down, knowing the big picture, knowing he was to do that for in obedience to his father, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. After Jesus had said, it is finished, and the plan of God that was set into motion was accomplished, he said in Luke 23 and verse 46, after he'd been hanging on the cross for around six hours or so, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Again, a prayer that we can rightly call the Lord's Prayer. Without a doubt, the example that Jesus is and has set for us had a tremendous impact on those that saw him praying when Jesus walked on the face of this earth. But going back to our parable, the prayer of Jesus prompts the request for Jesus to teach his disciples to pray like John taught his disciples. Now certainly, this was asked by a Jewish disciple. And this Jewish disciple knew something about prayer, absolutely. Being a Jew by blood, he would understand about prayer. This, no doubt, was a religious man. He was a religious man before he ever met Jesus. And now, he is a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, still living under the old law, still a Jew by blood. And he looks to Jesus, and certainly he knows something about prayer. But he says, Jesus, as he sees him praying... Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Likewise, you and I today know a little something about how to pray, but we can learn from the Master. What do we know about prayer? You remember that I've talked on this very subject in great detail. I'll not do that today. But we find in Philippians chapter 4 that the right kind of praying is the antidote for anxiety. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives absolutes. He says, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. We know that. But Paul gives the idea or the antidote for that is the right kind of praying. We know that. Secondly, kinds of prayers. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you remember a few weeks ago when I talked on the chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 2? I don't know why I did this, but I was going through my notes and I forgot to say anything at all about intercessory prayers or intercessions. It was an accident. I'll just make a few points about that in just a minute. But what, a kind of prayer that we can pray are prayers called supplications. That's when you pour out your innermost thoughts. That's when you pour out all of your needs to God. That is a supplication. Giving of thanks, which the Bible says we should do along with every prayer. We thank God for all that he's blessed us with. And certainly he's given us more than we ever need. He's done more than he has promised. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that one of these kinds of prayers is simply called prayers. That doesn't just mean your general speaking to God. That means it's a prayer of praise and worship and adoration. When we spend time with God in prayerful adoration to Him, spending more time on how great He is, all of a sudden our problems aren't as big as we once thought. But what about this? We do this every single time that we assemble. Maybe we do it every single day when we go home, when we pray for our food, when we pillow our heads at night, in the morning, whenever. And that is we pray an intercessory prayer. That's when we pray on behalf of someone else. 
We have a prayer list that's right there. And these are folks that are in some sort of need, needs that only God can help and provide for. So we pray for God's mercy to be extended to somebody else. That is a prayer of an intercession. We do that every time we pray for those that are sick. We do that any time somebody falls away. We are praying for them to come back. We are praying for them and God's help in the matter. Prayers of intercessions. But notice, Jesus answers by teaching a model prayer. This prayer is commonly referred to today as the Lord's Prayer. And it's uh, oftentimes it's uh, recorded also in, in not only in Luke, but also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 through 13. We need to understand, though, that in order for it to be the Lord's Prayer, it has to be a prayer that the Lord prayed. I know the world calls this the Lord's Prayer. But if you look at the context, I think we'll understand it is not the Lord's Prayer because the Lord did not pray this prayer. The Lord is simply giving a model and illustration of how to pray. Now he says this. He says this to this disciple that's following him. He gives him an idea on what to pray for before the church or the kingdom was brought into existence, before the church was built in Acts chapter 2, before the church was established. Here were things that they could pray for in a model, an illustration, or a pattern. We need to understand, though, it cannot be the Lord's prayer if the Lord did not pray it. One more little aside. Our brother prayed in our assembly. I just mentioned that a minute ago. He prayed in our assembly. That was his prayer. But he prayed a public prayer for all of our benefit. It wasn't just for his benefit. He can do that later. But he prayed for all of our benefits. So when he said amen, it became his prayer. When we said amen, either out loud or silently, it became our prayer too. That was a prayer that we prayed. This model that Jesus used is simply an example in teaching them how to pray. Notice now the, the prayer as an example. The words in this manner, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, and that's Matthew's account, Jesus also gave these words of this model prayer in the great sermon on the mount, Matthew 6 and verse 9. The words in this manner suggest that it was a pattern and not a liturgy that must be recited each and every time that we pray. The Lord was not saying, say these words. He says, in like manner or something like this, here are some things you can pray for. Never was it ever intended, recite these words verbatim. Never once did Jesus say to do that. But here, though, we begin to learn the how and the what of prayer. How to pray would include simplicity in prayer. The word therefore in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 connects what follows with that which was said before. Notice those verses, verses 7 and 8, that's said right before he uses the word therefore in verse 9. Verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Then in verse 9, he says, after this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
In summary, Jesus' pattern for prayer is an illustration in contrast to the many words that are used by the heathen. But notice the brevity of words that he uses back in Luke's account in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. We learn the what of prayer should include such things as reverence for God and His name, acknowledging His being and His character. You know, it doesn't matter any time that we come before God in prayer, we need to recognize His great name, we recognize His great character, we recognize His great presence, we recognize Him for who that He is, and we don't speak to Him, even though we speak to Him privately and silently, we don't speak to Him with any sort of disrespectful language or common street terms. We give Him the reverence and the respect that He deserves. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray something like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Giving God the respect and the honor that he deserves. Jesus also spoke of the coming kingdom. Now that kingdom is in existence already today. So we wouldn't pray like they would pray then. And when it says, it says the kingdom come or thy kingdom come, It means when your kingdom comes, then your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we don't pray that when the kingdom comes, God's will will be done because the kingdom has come. The kingdom is the church. Can we pray for the church? Certainly we can. Can we pray for the kingdom? Certainly we can. And we can pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven regarding the church. You know, we know we pray. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. We know we pray in Jesus' name when we pray. If this was a prayer that's a model prayer that you and I have to recite today, it wasn't prayed in Jesus' name. It was before the kingdom or the church was established. Jesus simply gave a pattern, an illustration, and things we can pray for that they could and you and I could too. Thirdly, asking for physical necessities. We know we do that every time that we pray. We ask God that He will bless us with the things that we need. Sometimes we ask God to bless us with things that we want. But we really didn't need that. But God's the one that knows our needs. We just know what we want. We know what we'd like to have. But God never promised that we're going to be given everything that we want. God only promised we'll be given the things that we need, and there's a condition attached if we seek first His kingdom. Fourthly, spiritual needs we can pray for. Forgiveness of sins, Jesus says, but notice He attaches as we forgive others. You know, going all the way back to the very beginning in the garden when man sinned, sin became man's greatest problem. Therefore, at that very time, at that very moment... Forgiveness became man's greatest need. We ask God to forgive us all the time. Because sometimes we don't even know that we did something wrong. Sometimes we weren't bold enough in proclaiming the truths about Jesus. Remember when Clint talked about, you know, that, that's a sobering one now. That'll get you. Cowards. Afraid to stand up for what's right. Maybe letting something go. Sometimes we don't even know if we've stepped off the path. 
So we want to ask God to forgive us for anything that we know of, for anything that we left undone, for anything that we might have committed or omitted since the last time we've asked and received his pardon. We want forgiveness of sins. We want it every day. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, there was a theme about that too. And there was an attachment to forgiving others in greater detail than is found in Luke chapter 11. That's a different focus. We're going to get to that right now. But back then in Matthew chapter 6 on the great Sermon on the Mount, that theme seemed to be covered and continued to go over by the 7th chapter because Jesus talked about the right kind of judging. What did he say about forgiveness? He said, you will be forgiven, in essence as I paraphrase, if you forgive others. So if you won't forgive somebody else, God's not forgiving you. Man, that's a tough one. Matthew 7 didn't condemn judging. It just condemned a particular manner of judgment. And it said, whatever the way that you judge, that's the way you're going to be judged. Can you imagine going to God with no mercy? Can you imagine standing before the great God of heaven, standing before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, and not have the mercies of God because we extended no mercy to someone else or we failed to forgive others their trespasses? Well, this was the emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, on this occasion, Jesus has a different concern in mind, so he follows with the parable, and here it is. It is the parable of the friend at midnight. Illustrating this, Jesus shows that there's a man, and this man has company that comes to his house. And he comes, this company comes in the middle of the night. There's another character that's put in this parable, in this sermon. And that is a man that he considers to be a friend. He knows in his mind, I can go to my friend's house and I can knock on the door and he's going to give me the provisions that I need that I might be able to entertain my guest. But notice what Jesus says. He says, not because he's just a friend, but because of importunity or persistence, he will do it. I don't know, I kind of picture... Ryan coming by the house, knocking on the door. Ryan and I are good friends, like brothers. I can kind of see myself, fine, go. Here, take it, go. In other words, because of persistence, you make those decisions. Now, at no time was Jesus saying that prayers to God is that trivial. He's making a point. He's making an illustration. He's making a comparison that even if in the world somebody knows that there's a friend out there that's going to help him and give it to him because of persistence, how much more will your heavenly Father be there for you if you are equally persistent with him? The point of this parable is simple but important. Jesus is illustrating the importance of persistence in praying. One conclusion that we might get is that a person does not fully know how to pray unless he learns to be persistent in prayer. The importance of persistence is stressed even further as we consider the application that Jesus made to the parable. Notice the importance of persistence in verses 9 and 10. He says this. He says, ask and it shall be given you. He said, seek and you shall find. He said, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocks it shall be opened unto him. 
You know, Jesus is driving the point home even further when we look to the present term or the present tense for the verbs ask, seek, and knock. It means keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. There's a progression there. There's also a progression that somebody said one time, and I'm going to share it with you. Isn't it true that when somebody begins to be interested in something, what do they do? They start by asking. Once they ask and they get a little more information and they get a little uh, farther down the road, as it were, and they want to know more information, they're really interested now, they begin seeking. And then after they have begun seeking, they come to the point in time when they find it, they get close there, and what do they do? They start knocking. The progression there. Ask, seek, and knock. Failure to persist in prayer may be why, reasons why some prayers go unanswered. Let me make this point. I don't believe that this is in regards to forgiveness of sins. We must, never, we must never interpret a passage of Scripture in such a way that it contradicts the context of another passage of Scripture. So, that means this. If God is telling me here that if in order for me to be forgiven, I have to continually ask for forgiveness of the same sin over and over and over and over and over, and then maybe way down the road, I'm forgiven. If that's what he means, it goes against other scriptures like confess your faults, confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. It would violate passages like that. Also, another example in Acts the 8th chapter, Simon the sorcerer. Remember, he fell back. He backslid. What was told to him? Repent of this thy wickedness and pray that the Father will forgive you for the thoughts of your heart. When you ask God to forgive you, if you are repentant in your heart, you are forgiven right then and there. Remember Alan Bailey years ago? I think it was at Brundage, held a meeting. This is one thing I took from that meeting after all these years. He gave a story, he told a story about a sister that one time he was holding a meeting somewhere. And he extended the invitation and here comes this sister. She steps out and here she comes, tear-filled eyes streaming down her face. She walks up to the front and sits down. And after the invitation song was over, he sat down next to her. And this is what he said, she said. I committed a sin 20 years ago, and I've been asking God to forgive me ever since. In fact, I've confessed it, and I have asked God to forgive me hundreds of times. And Alan said, how sad for you. Because if you really were repentant back in time number one 20 years ago, God forgave you right then. And when God forgives... It's not, it's not the way we do. Sometimes we forgive, but we just hang on a little bit. No, when God forgives, it's like it never happened. When that prodigal came back and said, kill the fatted calf, make him. This, this young man did not even resemble a boy of the father's house. But when he came back, he was restored like it never happened. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Persistence in prayer, though, is attributed to or attached to other things that we might pray for. We're going to get to, we'll sum it up in just a minute. I'm almost through. 
First of all, let's remember who you are asking. To encourage persistence in prayer, Jesus speaks of earthly fathers and their sons. He gives an illustration. Isn't the preaching of Jesus great? He's asking a question. He gives a model. He gives a pattern. And now he gives an illustration. Now he's going to sum it up. We don't have to wonder what he meant. This is what he said. He said in verses 11 through 13, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is his father, is he going to give him a stone? If he asks a fish, is he going to give him a snake or a serpent? If he asks for an egg, is he going to give him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Some manuscripts on this verse say, for what it's worth, good spirit, meaning good things, same as what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, on the Sermon on the Mount. What is meant here, and the context here is this, God gives good gifts to his children. All that God gives is good. All that is good comes from God. For God is infinite goodness and gives good and needful things to his children who ask. All of this, though, is according to his will. And also, God knows what's best for us. You know, we don't know what God's will is. Sometimes people think that because they made a decision, it was God's will. We don't know what God's will is from the things that we pray for, so we continue to ask. We continue to seek. We continue to knock. We continue to pray. We continue to be persistent in prayer. That's the point. And the point really is this. Don't grow discouraged because you have not seen that God has answered your prayer in your timetable, in your time frame. Prayer is given by God to us that we speak to Him in our time. He answers us in his time. Someone said one time that he'd spent his whole life in religious studies. He said, you know, I'll tell you, he said, I've studied and studied and studied for 50 years. And this is what I've come up with beyond a doubt. There is a God. And I'm not him. I'll tell you something. We don't know God's will. So we keep asking, seeking, knocking, keep praying in persistence according to his will. He hears us, and that's his point. In conclusion, to summarize the points of Jesus, if persistence with a friend will prove fruitful, and we learn that it will, and earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will persistence prove fruitful with your heavenly Father? The idea of persistence in prayer was evidently important to Jesus because in Luke chapter 18, we'll read one more passage and we'll be finished. Luke chapter 18, look in verse 1. This is a parable that's akin to the one we've studied today. But in verse 1, he sums up, or the Bible sums up here, that Luke the writer does, with what he means by the parable. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Pray always. Pray all the time. Don't faint. And don't lose your faith because you think that God didn't hear you. Keep praying. I'll read the parable and I will quit. Jesus said, there's a city. And in the city there's a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. 
And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Do we have faith that God's going to hear us? That God's going to answer us? That God's going to provide for us according to his will in his due time? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.